Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. Tottenham Hotspur are top of the table. The Premier League's perennial underachievers flying under Big Ange Postacoglu. But will it be glory, glory Tottenham Hotspur or same old story Tottenham Hotspur come the end of the season? If Spurs don't seem to be losing at the moment, Manchester United don't seem to be winning in the Champions League. After defeats to Bayern and Galatasaray, is it already a must-win tonight at Old Trafford against FC Copenhagen? Meanwhile, Arsenal are in sunny Seville for their group encounter. What are the Gunners' aims in the Champions League this season? Are they good enough to go all the way? This is Football Social Daily, the award-winning Premier League podcast, and it's on the way next. Welcome to Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast with me, Niall McCorn, Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson. Morning, boys. Good morning. Good morning. Now, if you've never listened to this podcast before, we are a daily Premier League show with all of the latest news and opinions from the top flights. If you like what you hear, why not leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts? And why not hit follow or subscribe as well on whichever your preferred podcast platform is? That way, when we release a new episode, you will not miss it. Now, I can't believe that we're coming up to four years in March since the coronavirus pandemic swept through the world and football was suspended. And obviously during the time that football was suspended, everyone was cracking on with these word games like Wordle and stuff like that. So I've got one for you boys to kick off Tuesday morning. Thanks to the people at the Sports Industry Group, they've launched a new game called Sportal, which is their version of of Wordle. So if you can kind of remember how Wordle works, it's similar to that. You've got five clues. So what I want you to do to get our heads in gear before we talk about Spurs, before we talk about the Champions League, you two are going to have to work together to collaborate, to come up with an answer. See how many guesses it takes for you to get the right answer. You need to get it in less than five guesses. You reckon you can do it? If I remember rightly, I swear, Marley, you were a proper Wordle obsessive person when it came to that game. (laughs) I still play it. I'm not even kidding. Oh, there we go. My I still God. Three and a half years later, you're still playing Wordle. Yeah, on, on my dinners and stuff, just when you got some spare time around the house. It stops you having to talk to the wife, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to do that a lot more when baby Shola comes along. Uh, I know. <laughs> Won't oh, really have much time for Wordle then. But anyway, this is a sport version called Sportle. Thanks to the Sports Industry Group. You can find it on their website, which is sportindustry.biz if you want to have a go yourself. So we'll start with the first clue. You guys are going to have to work together. It's a football team and the stadium capacity is 67,394. That's your first clue. The Emirates? I was thinking that. I think it's, I think Emirates is a little bit smaller, but... We'll go for that. So your guess will be Arsenal then. Let's have a look. <laughs> Incorrect. Unlucky. Moving on to the next one. So the nickname of this team, that's the 67,000-seater stadium, is the Olympians. Roma. I'll go Roma considering. <laughs> it's not Roma. I was going to say, I've never heard of the Olympians as in attached to Roma, but I just thought the Olympic, you know, with the Coliseum type stuff. But never mind. Carry on. Clue three of five. So you need to get it in the next two. The team kit is white with light blue trim made by Puma. Don't know why Sheffield Wednesday is the only one that comes to mind. <laughs> I think I know it. Go on, Marley. Is it Marseille? 
Yes, it's Marseille. Correct. Well done, Marley. You managed to get it right in three guesses. So not bad between you two. Marseille was the right answer. 67,000 seat stadium, which is the Stade Velodrome. Of course, they are Olympique Marseille. So their nickname is the Olympians. And their kit was white with baby blue trim and manufactured by Puma. So not a bad go. Three out of five. I think we should try whilst we play through the week to crack it in one or two guesses. What do you reckon? Yeah, well, that was just a that was a taster, and Joel was still scratching around naming League One and Championship teams. So I had to drag <laughs> him through that one. Sixty-seven thousand seat stadium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll drag him through, and yeah. he'll uh, he'll by Friday he'll be caught up, and he'll be getting it in, in two. Sheffield Wednesday, known as the Olympians. <laughs> Come on, Joel. <laughs> My mind's elsewhere, honestly. <laughs> Anyway, that game's called Sportal. You can check it out on the Sports Industry Group website, which is sportindustry.biz. Give it a go. It's in big orange letters at the top of the webpage. So give it a click. There'll be a new teaser for you tomorrow on the website. So go and check it out then. And we'll give it a go on the podcast as well. But next on Football Social Daily, we're going to talk about Tottenham Hotspur because yesterday we previewed their game, Monday Night Football, between themselves and Fulham. It was a game they won by two goals to nil and they won comfortably. But before we get on to the football, we also mentioned Gary O'Neill was going to be a pundit, the Wolves manager, as a part of the Monday Night Football team yesterday. And Marley, you said it would be pretty boring, but actually some of the insight he was given was really interesting, I thought. It was brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it, you're happy to be corrected and proved wrong. Yeah, hundred percent. I I only I said it, it. I said boring, kind of in a in a positive way, if that made sense. As in, like he's as in he's not going to get carried away with anything. He's not going to be box office, you know, pumping out quotes left, right, and centre because that's that's just not Gary O'Neill. It's not his style uh, of playing, of managing, of coaching, or anything. So, um, I'm always a fan of seeing seeing proper coaches like discuss what they see on a, on a on a pitch because i mean the the probably the most um the 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 best clip from from last night was when uh, he he was showing the uh, drill in training that wolves were doing um that would help them against bournemouth and see where the weaknesses were uh, and if you didn't see it it was basically it was a they were looking for overloads in the in the where they could outmatch Bournemouth in midfield and there wasn't an overload down the left and there wasn't an overload down the right there was an overload diagonally in the in in you know in the middle and it was like so if you press their left center back and their left back um so you know if we have it with our left center back we can overload their right wing and it was like that's insight that I, you know I would never see but I'm sure loads of coaches see it it's something just as a general football fan, you probably wouldn't spot unless you've done your coaching badges because everyone looks at football laterally, don't they? Everyone looks at it in straight lines. Whereas Gary O'Neill was looking at that, and as you mentioned, I'm sure other coaches do this as well, was looking at that diagonal region of the pitch. It's quite funny how we mentioned yesterday formations and styles of play on the podcast as well, because we spoke about the 4-2-3-1 and those two defensive midfielders, holding midfielders or double pivot as the common coaching terminology calls it attracting one of them to the ball leaving a big space and then the other one comes to support and then once the two holding midfielders have moved into a more advanced area of the pitch you leave a massive space in that gap that they've vacated for your number 10 to get on the ball turn and try and attack the goal so I just think that those are things that maybe we need more of in football punditry it's all well and good sitting there in the chair and saying it as you see it but we've had that sort of punditry for the last 
25, 30 years on British TV. So that was a really refreshing change to see someone come at it with a more analytical approach. Yeah, and you'd, we don't see it enough because people don't want to give away the secrets and people don't want to uh, overanalyze the way they play because other coaches will be watching and they'll go, oh, well, you know, they're doing that. And, and I've now looked back at their last five games and see they do that quite a lot. Therefore, I'll make a plan for this Saturday um, where, you know, we, we neutralize that and we prey on what they're bad at rather than what they're good at. So, you know, I'd, I'd love more like that. I think punditry's getting better but still still poor really when you think about what what people say on like match of the day and stuff and you know live live broadcasting it's just generic comments and it's you know they they wanted it more than them and it's like no they didn't like I prove that they were tactically outplayed and you should know that as an ex-pro sitting there and I don't know that as a a fat bloke sitting on his sofa eating a bag of crisps like you you explain that to me that's your job as a pundit but all you get now is Michael Richards laughing at everything and then everyone going, oh, this is great. And Roy Keane being, being a little bit mad how the game's moved on. And it's like, even though it's kind of entertaining, it's not it's not insight. I want more of that. I think that's the key sentence that you've used, which is the game has moved on. Because yesterday we reflected on how everyone likes to play this gag and press, you know, win the ball high up the pitch, move the ball quickly, inverted fullbacks, false nines, all of that sort of stuff that we've seen particularly with Pep Guardiola's influence in this game in the last six or seven years in this country. I think the game has moved on from a coaching and tactical perspective and an analysis perspective so much in the last four to five years in particular. I know he's a legend and an idol of yours, but Alan Shearer, I dare say that tactics were not as advanced when he was playing the game at the top level. That's not to take away any of his achievements or any of his qualities or any of his skills. But I think nowadays players are coached to understand the game more tactically, Jill. Probably back then, to some degree, managers would have said, get the ball to Alan Shearer. He's our best player. He'll smash the ball in from anywhere, which isn't bad coaching. It was just coaching of the time, whereas things have moved on and changed now, which maybe might be more difficult for people to spot. Yeah, I think football's become really technical, which is also a good and both a bad thing as well, because I think sometimes it can be over complicated when football is a pretty simple game. But then like Marley said, actually, I always remember when Gary Neville used to say whenever he watched a game, whenever he was analysing a game, he used to watch it from the telecam, which is where you can see the whole pitch. And you can see everything going on rather than when you watch it on a usual televised game. They follow the ball and they follow just where the actual action is. When you watch it from that kind of wider perspective, zoomed out perspective, you can actually see way more. But because obviously we're not watching it to kind of analyse the game, we want to see the action for entertainment purposes. But if you actually look at it from the way in which Gary O'Neill's doing it, where he's not just focusing on the ball, he's looking at the shapes in the midfield, or he's looking at how far up or how much of a gap the two centre-backs are leaving, that's then their job to go and do that and exploit those weak weaknesses. Whereas for us, it's purely an entertainment standpoint. And of course, I'm happy to understand that viewpoint at the end of the game. But for me, it's not massively important to kind of look at the, all the crooks and little details because it's almost like I'm doing a UEFA B licence then <laughs> in terms of an over-analyzing the game. I just want to know the key concepts and the changes that have happened. I do get what you're saying. You kind of want it to be accessible to all. And there will be people that were watching Monday Night Football last night that just still couldn't understand what Gary O'Neill was going on about. And I think that's fine because everyone enjoys football in their own way. I think that is where the older pundits need to come into it a little bit 
bit more though, Marley, from my perspective, because I think the key for a, for someone like an Alan Shearer or a Martin Keown who's long retired is technical, not tactical. Alan Shearer can tell me why Bobby Charlton picked the ball up from 35 yards and why the way he hit the ball arrowed it straight into the top corner. He might not be able to tell me why Bournemouth were overloaded in the middle of the pitch because the two holding midfielders stepped out and left a gap in behind. That might not be Alan Shearer's skill set, but Alan Shearer's skill set is why has Harry Kane scored a goal from this angle? Why did Dominic Solanke use the back of his foot to kick the ball into the goal for Bournemouth's strike? That's Alan Shearer's skill set. It's the technique side of it and not the tactics side of it. Yeah, and there just needs to be the right people on the right games. Like Monday Night Football is probably the best at it because... They start at seven and the game doesn't doesn't start till eight. So they have a good half an hour. Sometimes they start at quarter to seven or, or even half six in the past. And they have a good hour of just dissecting what what's happened at the weekend. Uh, and when they get a guest on, it's brilliant. I think Mourinho has been on it in the past, which is obviously both box office and tactical. Um, I think it just needs to, to be better over over the next few sort of years as, as we move on. Um, and as demand for that type of insight should grow, um, I'm not I'm I'm not bothered about an ex-pro just listening, um, just watching a game and making generic comments and and not really offering much. Um, I think there's an awful lot of people who get on get on TV these days that have you know that have done very little in the game in terms of you know they're just sort of attached to one of the teams loosely. Um, yeah, but I don't think that matters too much because as far as accolades and achievements are concerned, Gary O'Neill's done very little in the game, not won many trophies, played for some middling clubs like Pompey and Middlesbrough. So it's not like he's a, a massive name in the football world. Funnily enough, I think one of the best ones at the minute is Ben Mee because he's still playing. And and they have him on BBC, they have him on uh, Match of the Day 2 usually. Uh, I think he's been on Match of the Day once. Um, but he's still playing and it's like you've got a Mark Harlan next week and he's like, yeah, um, you know, I'm looking forward to it or whatever. It's just it's just more interesting than, you know, Martin Keown or, you know, Micah Richards, you know. I like Micah Richards, but he's on everything now. He's everywhere. He's on he's on Galazzo in the week. He's on Match of the Day at the weekend. He's on every podcast you can think of. And it's like he's entertaining, but Christ, you know, it's it's the saturation of... Of the same people you see all the time. Shearer is probably on too much for from a neutral perspective. I'm I'm biased because I like hearing him talk about Newcastle, but in terms of how much he's on, it is probably too much. But yeah, that's that's punditry for you now, and I think hopefully they'll they'll take the feedback on uh, of a current coach or a very recent coach, um, and other broadcasters will, will look at that and try and implement it into their coverage as well. All right, that's enough about punditry for now. Next on Football Social Daily, we'll take a look at the scoreline last night. Tottenham 2, Fulham 0 sends them back to the top of the Premier League table whilst Arsenal and Manchester United are in Champions League action this evening. We'll speak about it after this on FSD. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome back. Hit subscribe or follow on your favourite podcast platform and never miss an episode. Now, we've spoken about the pre-match build-up to Tottenham against Fulham. But yesterday, Ange Postacoglu's side got the job done again, Joel. In a London derby, they were 2-0 victors. Postacoglu called them wasteful. He thought they could have won by more goals. And I think actually, on the basis of the chances, he's probably right. You said that it's Spurs 
on yesterday's podcast, Joel. You're not sure whether they're in it for the long haul or not. Ange Postacoglu has the most points after nine games of any new Premier League manager in the history of the competition. He's made a fine start to life in North London and his side atop of the league and still unbeaten. What did you make of yesterday's result? By the way, that statistic doesn't have a massive amount of bearing because I believe the other two managers are Gus Hiddink and a Norwich manager, I can't remember his name, but they had 22 points. There's other managers who've achieved more when it comes to nine games in, let's just put it that way. I feel like after watching the game yesterday, it's just when things are going good at a football club, but also when the manager has almost galvanised all of the fans. Like we mentioned, you have the song about him, you have the whole stand. I was watching the aftermath of when the Spurs fans were just staying in the stadium, singing in the concourses. That's what happens. At, that, this is where the special specialness begins to start at Spurs. And if they can continue it, that's what I kind of question. But the, it was the small things that I was seeing. I think when you have momentum in a side, naturally the pressing is a little bit more aggressive. Naturally, the, t- the players are a little bit more eager to get on the ball again and impress the fans. Where it's going bad, it's almost like curling up your tail. You don't want the ball. Everyone's almost a little bit tame in pressing. And you saw that. I mean, I know everyone's going to point out Youngmin Son and James Madison, who are phenomenal at the moment. But uh, Van der Ven, the centre-back, I mean, when they bought him in the summer for, what, 45 million, everyone was thinking... How much? No one's really heard much about him, to be honest. And it, it sounded like an excessive amount of money. And now him and Romero have, have complement each other so well in that centre-back pairing. So solid and so watertight. You look at Vicario in goal. Hugo Lloris was a huge goalkeeper for Spurs for the last decade. And it was going to be such a difficult task to replace someone like that. We saw it at Manchester United just recently. You know, David De Gea's left long-term goalkeeper. Replacing long-term goalkeepers is such a difficult task because the new goalkeeper's got to fill massive, massive gloves. And he looks like he's played in the Prem for the last five years. He looks so assured. He's an athletic shot stopper, which I really like. He made a big save at nil-nil. And I just think for Spurs, the recruitment has been like it was under Pochettino. Just very clever, very characteristic of what Spurs are, are trying to be rather than before. Seemed like they were just going for the next best talent like Lo Celso and, and Dombele, you know, the next best thing. They're going for players who actually fit the profile of what they need or better yet, what Ange Postacoglu wants to play, what kind of football he wants to play. So I think everything at the moment is just going really well for them. But I want to see them go through some adversity. I'm waiting for it. I want to see them come from behind. I want to see them go down to 10 men and come back and win and get a last minute goal against the bigger sides. I know they play some big sides already, but there'll there'll come a time where there is some adversity. Let's see how they get out of it. But for now, phenomenal start for Ange. Well, I'm not so sure about adversity in terms of coming from behind and getting a man sent off. I think for me, I'm interested to see the adversity of when they lose a game because... Arsenal of a couple of years ago, not the season just gone, but the one before, they would go on runs under Arteta and they'd play good football. But when they would lose, they would lose two or three in a row and then they'd bounce back. I just wonder how Spurs will react when they do lose a game this season because they're not going through the season unbeaten. It's just not going to happen. Or are they? they? Well, can you imagine? It would be ridiculous (laughs) if Spurs did that. It would be an incredible achievement. But are they in it for the long haul now? We've played, what, eight games in the Premier League. So there's still... 30 games left to play. We are at the very embryonic stages of a top flight season, but Spurs haven't started a season this well in living memory as far as I can remember personally. So what do you think, Marley? Are Spurs title challengers? Yeah, 
because I've said on the podcast I think last season when we were talking about Arsenal, we were talking about Man United in the um, in the title race. I said as long as you're up there, it doesn't matter where what stage of the season really you're in. As long as you're up there, you're in the race. You're in the race until you're not in the race, and that's when you lose three in a row, or you know you lose, you know you drop ten or eleven points in in the space of you know eight or nine games or whatever it may be. Um, and at the minute they're flying, so you know they're winning when they should win. They're winning when they shouldn't win. In terms of the Liverpool game, I'm thinking of, you know they they played okay, rode their luck. Obviously got the got the couple of decisions which were gifts um and then had the the fortune of Matip hoofing one into his own his own top corner in the last uh, like 96 minutes so everything's going well at the minute as you say there will be adversity down the line it's it spurs they can't physically go through uh, a season nice and plain sailing um but it is what it is you know they'll they're in this until they're not um and at the minute everything's everything's fine everything's they're, they're building a team which looks hard to beat um, you know they sorted out. He sorted out a lot of problems. He sorted out the goalie, sorted out the attack, and the and the midfield balance, which I thought always thought was a bit crap last season. Um, with um, with Hoiberg and Bentancur and Skip, you know none of them were really sort of pacey, get round the pitch and put a tackle in type of thing. And with I know Sa- um, Basuma didn't play last night, but Sar and Basuma have given that uh, big time. Um, and then even Hoiberg playing last night, you know, held held things down okay, um, and and uh, give them a, a basis on which to to build on. So, yeah, I think they're they're doing great at the minute, and you know, I'm happy for Big Ange because everything that comes out of his mouth, I just I agree with. It's just he's such a a good character for for Spurs. Well, Tottenham are top of the table, and as Joel mentioned, yet to lose a game. But I wonder when they will see that adversity. Will it be if Son and James Madison are missing? Because, as Joel rightly underlined, those two have been outstanding and linked up again last night to make sure that Tottenham got the win by two goals to nil over Fulham. Spurs aiming to get back in the Champions League this season. I think particularly after this great start. But two clubs who are already in the competition for this campaign are Manchester United and Arsenal. We'll talk about Arsenal shortly, but first, got to talk about Manchester United, Joel, because this is a crunch game against FC Copenhagen. And you think a Danish side coming to Old Trafford should be plain sailing. But after defeats to Bayern Munich and Galatasaray, Manchester United are really up against it to get out of this group. Does this now become a must-win game tonight at Old Trafford? Yeah, it has to be. If, If we don't take three points from this game tonight, I generally don't think we're getting out of the group. And that's for the fact that we still have to play the two away games against Galatasaray and Copenhagen and then still have to play Bayern at home as well, which I'm guessing by that stage they'll have wrapped up the group pretty nicely. But it's just ridiculous. The last few campaigns that United have been in in the last three to four years, the group stages have been such a difficult task. I don't know if that's because the European teams are starting to bridge the gap a little bit more or it's just that United are making an absolute meal of every single group because it just seems like every game though it's not this is this is what I mean it's hard for me to gauge just what the situation is because even in when we played against Sheffield United at the weekend Sheffield United have got one point this season and they looked like they were going toe to toe with United for the majority of the game the same thing happened at Galatasaray where it absolutely crumbled the biggest thing for me 
and it's crazy. It's not because of VAR, but every time Man United score now, I don't celebrate for the first two minutes because I know the other team are just going to go the other end and score an equaliser. It's happened nearly, I swear, it feels like 50% of the games this season. Happen at Arsenal, happen at Sheffield, happen at Galatasaray, Bayern Munich. There is so many games. I genuinely don't know what the issue is. I don't know if there's a loss of concentration. I don't know if it's a bit of nerve going into having to defend a team that are trying to chase the game now. It's just a mentality thing, but I'm just really... These are the types of games under, for example, Sir Alex Ferguson, where default that you win it. Whereas these games now, any team coming to Old Trafford should think that they can get something from the game, which is ridiculous and quite worrying, to be honest. But we are three games on a winning streak. Can't underestimate that. But in terms of if you... Don't look at the statistics and look at the actual game. It's a very different story, like really different story. That, so I'm quite that nervous. That must be the, the most paper thin winning streak I've ever I've ever heard. <laughs> it's about it was uh, it's about like tracing paper. It's <laughs> just the slightest bit of pressure and you're just gonna put a hole in you. Scott Scott McTominay with three goals in that time. Bloody hell. He's our top oh, scorer, man. by the way, which is another worrying thing. And he's only played like the last three games of the season. <laughs> well, Manchester United are eighth in the Premier League table and on the verge of going out of the Champions League. If we praised Eric Ten Hag for a great season last year in his first as a Premier League manager, Marley, getting Manchester United a trophy and into the top four and to the final of another cup. I know we've only played eight games, as we said with Spurs, it's still early. But as far as Manchester United are concerned, it's been a bad start, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Um, it started off okay, and then the off-field stuff overshadowed the on-field stuff, as it always does with Man United. You know, the takeover, the Anthony thing, the Greenwood thing, the the long drawn-out process of signing Sofiane Amrabat, who seemed to be sitting in a Manchester hotel, not knowing whether he was coming or going for about two weeks. Um, you know, criticism over Varane, criticism over Onana. You know, it all injury to Lissandro Martinez. There's an endless amount of things in the form of Rashford. If we could go on and on and on and on. Um, but yeah, it's it's just something Man United have got to deal with because it's always going to be there. Always. Always things are going to go wrong at your club and always things um, are going to challenge you and not be perfect. They're not perfect at Spurs, but Angie's getting on with it and he's putting out fires before they, before they even spark, you know what I mean? And then... You know, it's 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 different at Man United. Of course, it is. Every situation is different, but you know they've they've got to start winning. Um, they've got to get some consistency. I think last season Man United were were really bad in quite a lot of the stages of the season, but then they put a run together between sort of December and February where they were they were incredible, and that basically got them top four and won them the Carabao Cup. Because if if Newcastle like in that Carabao Cup final, if Newcastle had played the August to, to December version of Man United, we'd have won. But we played them when they were in sixth gear and just flying along, and it, it become, you know, a, a difficult match to win. And then Rashford scores scores a goal, and Casemiro finishes it off, and and that's all she wrote. And then this season, six months on, you know, it doesn't look a shadow of that team at all. So issues at Old Trafford for Eric Ten Hag to solve, and they take on Copenhagen tonight in the group stages. Arsenal, meanwhile are in the south of Spain to take on Sevilla, who are one of the best European clubs, really, not in terms of Champions League success, but particularly Europa League success, which is why they're in the group stages, Joel. Arsenal fans will want to go one step further in the Premier League this season and win a first title in over 20 years. But they'll also be eyeing up the big trophies and the Champions League is no doubt 
the biggest of them all, some would say. Are Arsenal good enough to go on and win the Champions League or is it too soon in their evolution to call them genuine challengers for that trophy? I said it at the start of the season, I genuinely don't understand why they wouldn't believe that they could go to at least semi-finals because you look at their group, again, it's a group that they should be easily getting out of. Lons, I know they got defeated by them in the last game. Sevilla, not quite the team that they were under Unai Emery and PSV aren't exactly the biggest giants of Holland. So I think it's a, it's a group that should easily get out of. But in terms of purely just the way in which they play and how good they're doing in the league at the moment, they're one of the top teams in Europe. It's just the absolute bottom line. And I don't understand, maybe it is a fact of almost like the predicament that England find themselves in where because they've not won the trophy, for example, they've not won the Euros ever. And obviously Arsenal never won the Champions League ever. It's almost trying to break that barrier of trying to overcome never winning something. It's almost like they have no belief in themselves to actually do it because I truly believe that if they were to get into the latter stages of the Champions League, say the quarterfinals, and they were deep in the in the Premier League title race, I have a feeling Mikel Arteta will second it to the Premier League. And that's why I, I just think it's not an absolute priority. I feel like they just want to go for the league. That is the absolute number one North Star. Yeah, Arsenal away in Seville tonight in the Champions League. Manchester United at home to Copenhagen. No doubt we'll react to those two results on tomorrow's podcast as well as looking ahead to Newcastle back in the Champions League again. And Manchester City are also playing. Marley's got a little smirk on his face, but you can hear his thoughts on that fixture on tomorrow's Football Social Daily by hitting subscribe or follow on your favourite podcast platform. Leave us a review as well and get involved with the Telegram group. Loads of good chat in there, including reaction to Marley's goal at Sunday League from the weekend. Oh, I just wanted to add, I was just reading the reaction this morning. It, I was howling at people comparing him to Sean Wright Phillips <laughs> and Jermaine Defoe. <laughs> I was like, what a pace That's is that? flattering comparisons as far as I'm flattering. concerned. Defoe? What's your reaction to it, Marley? I, I hadn't seen the right Phillips one. I've just, I'm just, literally just looked at it now. <laughs> well, whilst Marley scrolls back in the Telegram group, you can join the Telegram group by finding the link in the description. All of our social media pages are in there as well. But that is it from us today on FSD. We'll be back again tomorrow. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.